I want to begin this morning by sharing about the life of a man named David Brainerd. He was born 1718 in Connecticut, orphaned at 14, but saved by God at the age of 21 during the Great Awakening, in which the gospel just spread like wildfire all across the American colonies. God called David Brainerd to a life of missionary work to Native Americans. He spent time proclaiming the gospel and seeking to make disciples and mature disciples of Jesus Christ within tribes found in New York, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey. And although he did see some wonderful fruit in a good amount of Native Americans coming to Christ while he was in New Jersey, much of ministry was hard for Brainerd. Results were often slow in coming. Temptations to despair were great. He felt deeply the trials of various kinds that were a part of his life. And yet, at the same time, he had a real passion for God. He once wrote that he desired to burn out in one continual flame for God. Sadly, he ended up contracting tuberculosis. And in God's providence, spent the last months of his life in the home of America's most famous theologian, Jonathan Edwards, being cared for by Edwards' daughter. Brainerd died on October 9th, 1747. He was only 29 years old. Much of what we know about David Brainerd comes from his personal journal that he kept, which Jonathan Edwards later read after his death and published. It's a work that has inspired many Christians over the generations. Many missionaries from America to all over the world have have pointed to how God used Brainerd's writings to encourage them to go. And I want to share with you this morning what he wrote in his journal on New Year's Day, 1746, having no idea that it would be his last full year on earth. His journal says the following, January 1st, 1746. I am this day beginning a new year, and God has carried me through numerous trials and labors in the past. He has amazingly supported my feeble frame. For having obtained help of God, I continue to this day. Oh, that I might live nearer to God this year than I did last. Oh, that I might live nearer to God this year than I did last. I want to ask you this morning. I want to ask myself this morning. Are we... Only one week into this new year, desiring the same thing. Brother and sister, as we consider all that God is and all that God has done, is there a desire in your soul and in my soul to live nearer to God this year than we did last? Is there a desire to know God and enjoy God and live for God in greater ways this year than we did last? If you have your Bibles, you need to turn to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 6 and 7. And in doing so, we're going to see 
This desire to grow ever deeper in relationship with God is not just something David Brainer wanted to do, but something God, by His grace and Holy Spirit, wonderfully calls us to do as well. So Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. This is the perfect and authoritative word of, of God. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Lord, we pray that You would bless the preaching of Your Word and that we would be changed by it this morning. Amen. So so the big truth of this passage is that as disciples of Christ who have been saved by Christ, we're called to grow, grow ever deeper in our relationship with Christ our Lord. As disciples of Christ who have been saved by Christ, we are called to grow ever deeper in our relationship with Christ our Lord. And I'm looking forward to us mining out the treasure of this passage And then concluding the service with communion and a closing song of worship. We're going to sing Be Thou My Vision at the end of the service this morning. So three points to to kind of guide our time as we look at these verses. Point number one, walk with Christ. That's the clear exhortation of that first verse. Walk with Christ. Now, just a little bit of background on this church. I love The story of this church. I love the the background of the church of Colossae. I love how it shows how God advances his gospel all over the world. You see, there are two men from Colossae, Epaphras and Philemon. They live in Colossae, but we think because of business, they were in Ephesus. And Paul was in Ephesus at that same time during one of his missionary journeys. So, So Epaphras and Philemon are in Ephesus. Paul's preaching the gospel. By God's grace, they are saved. They go back home. They share the gospel with the people there. God saves a bunch of people there. And a church is birthed. And what a great picture of how God advances the gospel. God saves. God is the one who birthed the church. And yet, at the same time, it's through the means of heralds. It's through the means of us. God saves, God saved Epaphras and Philemon and they just go home and share the gospel with those people and God saves them and there's a church. And you just see God doing that now for over 2,000 years. God saving people and them going and sharing that gospel with other people and God saving those people and it just moves all over the world. As time went on though, this gospel rich church in Colossae began to be threatened by false teachers who in this instance were propagating what is known as Gnosticism. Gnostics consider themselves to be people of superior knowledge who could help those who saw, they could help those they saw as kind of beneath them to obtain deeper spirituality. The word for, the very word for Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means to know. So these false teachers come into town teaching people that they were in possession of secret words and knowledge and traditions and activities, which if in knowing could help a person get closer to God. 
And they taught that Christ was not sufficient for salvation. They saw Christ as simply one step on a long ladder to God. And so Epaphras updates Paul on what is happening in Colossae, in the church of Colossae, and specifically about these false teachers. And the letter of Colossians that we're looking at this morning is Paul's response as he was guided along by the Holy Spirit. And he shares with the church, it is good to go deeper in Christ. It is good to go deeper in your faith, but, but not in a way that leads further from Christ, as the Gnostics would teach, but rather to go deeper and deeper and deeper into Christ. Do you want to grow in knowledge? Do you want to grow in your faith? Don't move beyond Christ. Do the opposite of that. Go deeper and deeper. Spend more time with Christ. The Gnostics had a low view of Christ. And Colossians teaches us they couldn't have been more wrong. Because not only is he valuable, and they they see him as one rung on a long ladder. I mean, they they don't even see him as valuable. And, And what Colossians says is not only is Jesus valuable, he is of supreme worth. There's no one greater than Christ. There is no one more valuable. There is no one of more worth than Christ. We read it at the beginning of of the service this morning in chapter 1 of Colossians. Christ is above all things. He's the creator and sustainer of all things. He holds all things together. All things exist for his glory. And so Paul loves the church. He wants to see Christians firm in the faith, strong, well-established in the faith. And that is why he says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And church, before we get to the main focus of, of our passage, may we all take note that this verse highlights that we must receive Christ Jesus our Lord. If we're going to be saved. It's not simply enough to academically know about Jesus. It's not enough to be around disciples of Christ. We must receive Jesus ourselves. Charles Spurgeon says the following about the importance, the necessity of each of us receiving Christ Jesus, our Lord. Spurgeon says, suppose that you should go to a baker's window. And stand there for an hour and stare at the bread. I do not think that sight would fill you much. No, you must eat or else there might be tons of bread within reach and you would die of famine. You might be buried in a grave of bread and it would be of no use to you. Even manna would not nourish you unless you ate it. You must receive food into yourself or it is not food to you. The Savior himself, if you do not receive him by faith, will be no Savior to you. That is a good word by Mr. Spurgeon. It is not enough to know about bread or simply to look at bread. We must eat the bread if we are to be satisfied. We are to eat the bread if we are to be fulfilled. And in the same way, we must receive Christ Jesus, our Lord, if we are to be saved. Have you received Christ Jesus, our Lord? What that means is to place your faith in Him as both Lord and Savior. Look at how God here in this verse, verse 6, intentionally uses both titles. Christ Jesus, the Lord. 
Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, who is also the King of kings and Lord of lords. To to receive him is to repent of our sin and to trust in him as Christ, the one who died on the cross for our sins. And to bow our knee to him as Lord, submitting our very lives to him as the King. We must receive Christ Jesus, the Lord. But that's not the end of the Christian life. In verse 6, we are told, just as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. It's one of the clearest passages in all of Scripture that the Christian life is not defined as simply praying a one-time prayer and then going back to the life you were formerly living. Praise God for those initial prayers of salvation. Praise God for those for that moment when by God's grace we confessed our sin to Christ for the first time and through faith received forgiveness of sins and received the righteous standing because we were covered by the life and death of Christ. But that's only the beginning of a long, beautiful walk with our Lord and Savior. God's word throughout the New Testament encourages us to be ever growing deeper in our relationship with God. David Brenner's prayer that he might live near to God this year than he did last was the same prayer that the Apostle Paul had for us as the church. In Ephesians 1, Paul tells the church that he's praying for them. That's not a throwaway sentence when he doesn't know what else to say. Oh, I'm praying for you. And it's not something he says just to sound spiritual. He prays for the church. He loves the church, the church, the body of Christ. And so he says in Ephesians 1, verses 15 to 19, he says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. That's not a prayer for people to get saved. That's a prayer for Christians, right? How does he start? He says, I've heard of your faith in Christ. I've heard of your love for the saints. And in light of that, in light of your faith in Christ, in light of your union with Christ by his grace, I'm praying that you would grow in your knowledge and your wisdom of God. Not not in some weird Gnostic type of way where he hopes secret and hidden truths would be revealed to them, but that they would simply grow. That they would grow by God's grace and spirit in their relationship with God who has already revealed himself to them and adopted them as sons and daughters. That in the days ahead, they would grow in knowing him better, grow in their understanding, grow in their amazement of what he's done for them and given them through their salvation. And church, that reality... That desire Paul has for us, that desire God has for us, 
that we ever be growing in our relationship with God is to be a fundamental aspect and privilege of the Christian life. Now, please hear me. It's important you hear this. God's word is clear. The moment God saves a person, he or she is fully forgiven, fully loved, fully adopted as a child of God. We are never more forgiven. We're never more loved. We're never more his child than when we are in that first moment of repentance and faith in Christ that comes by his grace. So those things are unchangeable. Those things don't increase. And yet relationship with God, knowing God, enjoying God, being further and further amazed by God, those do increase. Those can increase as we walk with him. Colossians 2 verse 6 is touching on what is the greatest blessing in our salvation. The greatest blessing in our salvation is not that now we're not going to hell. Now that is a massive blessing. If you are a Christian, you have been saved from eternal wrath. That's a massive, massive gift. It's not the greatest gift of your salvation. The greatest gift of your salvation is that you are now in relationship with the living God forever. It's not just what you're being saved from. It's being what you've been added into. That you get to be with God as his child forever. In amazing love, God has chosen to bring you near. And we get to daily walk with him. Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1 and that encouragement in Colossians 2, 6 is that we would grow in knowing this God. Grow in our amazement. Grow in our enjoyment. Grow in the riches of his glorious inheritance as our salvation is called in God's word. Christian, I want to ask you this morning. You leave here. You go home. Sit down on your sofa. And you get a phone call. And you learn that a distant relative has passed away and left you their fortune. The lawyer tells you, you know, conservatively, this thing's being valued at over a hundred million dollars and it's yours. Do you recognize that that is nothing in comparison to what you already have in Christ? That phone call doesn't make you rich. Because you're already rich in Christ. Infinitely, eternally rich in Christ. Because you have Christ. I mean, don't get me wrong. It'd be great to have that money. But that money is temporary. That phone call, Christian, wouldn't make you go from whatever you are right now to rich. You are rich, Christian. And the blessing of those riches is that you and I get to walk with Christ. On January 1st, 1746, David Brainerd doesn't sit down and fearfully write out that he might live nearer to God this year than he did last so that God would love him. Oh, I better live closer to God so that he loves me again this year. Well, what if I die? I better, I better live so he, I better live close to him so he accepts me. Nope, that's not what he's saying. And he's not writing that in kind of a duty-driven way. Well, this is just what I should do. I should pray more. I should read my Bible more. I need to check that off my list. So I better live closer to God. Listen to the quote again. 
I am this day beginning a new year. And God, he starts with God. God has carried me through numerous trials and labors in the past. He has amazingly supported my feeble frame from having, for having obtained help of God. I continue to this day. Oh, that I might live nearer to God this year than I did last. He's talking about God and God's glory and God's beauty and God's majesty and God's power. He's saying, oh, God has been so unbelievably, undeservingly helpful to me. I'm so weak and he's been so strong for me. I've gone through so many trials and he's been there sustaining me, helping me. Oh, that I might live even nearer to him this than last. This isn't drudgery. This isn't him trying to earn something. This is him saying, I got God and I want more. I want to enjoy more of him. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. So what does it mean to walk with Christ? I would say it this way, so much more that could be said, but I would say it this way, to walk with Christ is to enjoy and depend on him daily. It's to enjoy and depend on him daily. To walk with him just means to be in a relationship with him. To enjoy that relationship, to depend on him because he's Savior and Lord. In both the great and ordinary moments of life, being able to talk to him. Through prayer, listening to him through his word and spirit, seeking to follow him as Lord, depending on him for grace. This leads us to our second point, point number two, rooted, built, and established in Christ. Rooted, built, and established in Christ. God, in his word here, is gracious to the visual learners of the church like me by describing in a couple pictures what it means to walk with Christ. And he first begins by calling us to be rooted in Christ. Just as you've received Christ, so walk in him. Rooted. Rooted in Christ. These words are to bring forth in our minds the image of a root system of a tree. And remind us of the part roots play in regards to both health and stability. A tree is only as healthy as the unseen roots that exist below the surface. When the roots are healthy and strong, the tree will be so as well. The tree will receive the the water and the nutrients it needs from the soil, and the tree will be anchored and remain stable in the strongest storm that nature can throw at it. In the same way, you and I, believer, will grow healthy and stable in Christ as we root ourselves down into the soil of Christ. When we spend time with Christ in his word, as we spend time with Christ in prayer, we gain the gospel nutrients, if you will, that we need for daily life. We won't be led by our beliefs if we're rooted in Christ. But we will be led by his truth and grace. As I heard Tim Keller say once recently, we constantly need our priorities reordered. In the flesh, the temptation is to put what is important in the wrong order, to, to make things that are secondary primary and the primary things secondary. And God's word allows us to, to rightly reorder our lives. And the temptation is either to be, uh, to believe that, that 
that I can do nothing or I can do everything. And the gospel reminds me, okay, here's what it means to be rooted in Christ. So when we're in Christ, we're led by Christ. We'll be, we'll recognize false teaching in our culture for the poison that it is. And when the trials and the storms of this life come, our branches might bend, but they will not topple. The tree will not topple. However, if you and I are not rooted in Christ, if we don't spend time with God and His Word and prayer, we will suffer spiritually. We will be led by our feelings more than God's truth. We will be tossed to and fro, as it talks about in Ephesians 4, 14 and 15, and be far more susceptible to harm when the storms of this life come. Now again, it's important to note that if you are a Christian, you are rooted in Christ. That's a present reality because Christ has united himself to you. We can have a confidence in Christ. You can have an assurance in Christ because our faith, it's not in our faith. Our faith is in Christ. And at the same time, God calls us in his word to have a daily dependence on God in which we draw near to him knowing we need his grace, we need his strength, we need direction for everything he calls us to. I I would say it this way, we are to be both confident in Christ and dependent on Christ at the same time. As you walk out your day, I don't mean just in devotions. I don't mean just at church. As you walk out your day, wherever God takes you, we are to be both confident in Christ and dependent on Christ. Listen to John 15, 4 and 5, where Jesus gives us the picture of the vine and the branches. Jesus calls us to abide in him. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And this is this last part, I speak to myself every single day, for apart from me you can do nothing. Now, Who's called to abide in who there, right? Like, is there, is Christ called to be connected to me or am I called to be connected to Christ? Yes, right? Abide in me and I in you. So we are to have a confident faith because God abides in us. We are to have a confident faith because just five chapters earlier in John 10, Jesus says, no one can snatch you out of my hand and no one can snatch you out of the father's hand. He kind of doubles down there and says, the father and the son, no one's snatching you out of our hand. So we have a confidence because our faith is in Christ and yet a dependence because he says to abide in him that apart from him, we can do nothing. And I want us to see that this is not contradictory where, well, you can either have an assurance of Christ or in Christ, or you can uh, be dependent upon Christ. The Christian is to do both. And I would say the one leads to the other. The, the person who is genuinely confident in Christ, confident in, in who God is, confident in what he's done, confident in his promises, will be dependent on him. When a genuine Christian considers how they have been saved in such a mighty way and have been given such a confidence in God, why would we not run to him again and again and again for daily wisdom, care, and help? 
When a young child is confident in the love and care of their mom or dad, they don't spend long times away from them, but go back to them with every need, believing they will receive help. In the same way as God's sons and daughters, we should not be sinfully fearful, but we should be biblically dependent on him in regards to every area of our life, joyfully rooting ourselves further and further into him by his grace and spirit. And I hope we see here as we're looking at this, this this joy of getting to walk with Christ, this privilege to be able to be rooted in Christ. I pray that it would change the way we look at our spiritual disciplines. In our flesh, we can be tempted to see things like prayer, like reading God's word as, as simply kind of moral obligations instead of seeing them as the means we have been given by God to enjoy God. To see them as a gift to us in which these are the ways we can root ourselves down in Christ by his spirit. That this is how we can abide in him. The one who has united himself first to us. You know, if we don't see the value of something. If we look at whatever whatever that thing is. If you look at something and you don't see any value in it. It's going to fall down the list of priorities, right? If you don't see any value in God's word, if you don't see value in just getting to talk to God and to listen to God, if you if you don't see any value in spiritual disciplines, you're not going to move towards them. I feel like so often when I pray for the teens of this church, it's a not that God's word would change, but that they would see it more clearly for what it is. If if the Bible is God's word, that I can say confidently, God spoke to me today because that's the word of God. If I believe Psalm 119, that it is sweeter than honey, that it is more valuable than much fine gold. If I believe that, I'm not going to go kicking and screaming to read the word, will I? There'll be a sense of, I can't believe I have God's word here and I can read it. I can't believe that I get to talk to God. So that's not a condemning statement. That's a a prayer for all of us as we move towards this year. Just like Brainerd, we all want to grow. But if you would admit, I just don't read the word. I just don't spend time in prayer. I just don't walk with Christ. May we just ask God, God, give us a greater vision of who you are, a greater understanding, a greater amazement for what you have done, what you've given us, what we get to be a part of. We get to read the Bible. We get to be in prayer. Again, not to save us, not so that God loves us, but to enjoy relationship with him. Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. That's us. We're to be those type of trees just seeking to get our roots deeper and deeper into God. The second picture God gives is connected to the first. Just as when the roots of a tree are strong and go down deep, the tree will grow strong and tall. We as Christians, when our roots go down deep in Christ, will grow spiritually stronger as well. 
That phrase, you see it there, built up in him. Just as you receive Christ, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him. It's talking about something that happens to us as we walk in Christ. Sanctification is the biblical process in which we become more and more like Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, over the course of our lives. And this phrase highlights that as we spend time with Christ, by his grace and spirit, we become more like Christ. As we walk with Christ, as we grow deeper in our relationship with Christ, we become more and more like him. We see this just in earthly relationships, don't we? As you spend time with people, you become more like them. Now, this is something far deeper, but my point is that you see it even in surface relationships. I haven't called Pepsi Pop in a long time now. I don't call shoes tennis shoes. Well, I still call them tennis shoes every so often, but I'll call them sneakers now more often. Why do I use those phrases? Why do I use those terms? Well, I'm not in Ohio anymore. None of you are calling it pop except my mom and dad, right? They're hanging on. This is a really small way of showing that who you are around, you will become like. And here, it's not just kind of a byproduct. This is the promise of God. This is something far deeper because this is the spirit working in us. But that's the promise of 2 Corinthians 3.18. I remember when I first became a Christian. Okay, I'm saved. I'm forgiven. God sees me as righteous. God's forgiven me. But I know there's still sin in here. And I know he does too, right? So judicially, he's forgiven me. But I want to be more and more like the Savior. How as a Christian do I become more and more like Christ? And 2 Corinthians 3.18, what a promise. And we all, meaning Christians, we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Again, we see the both and who changes us. How do we become more like Christ? The Lord does it for this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. So the Lord does it. And yet what is the means by which the Lord does it by us looking to Christ, us beholding the glory of the Lord. When you open your Bible in the morning, don't think, i got to do this. Yeah, you got to behold the glory of the Lord. You're going to see God this morning. I know you could be tired. You're still drinking that coffee. You're still waking up. But may there be something in us of, I'm about to behold the glory of the Lord. That's incredible. That's amazing. That's the David Brainer. Oh, that I might know God better this year than I did last. Because we're talking about the Lord here. And as we spend time with Christ, as we enjoy Christ, slowly, just one degree of glory after another, becoming more and more like Him. Listen to the promise of Acts 20, 32. It says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up. Christian, 
Do you see your weakness? Do you see your struggles? Do you see your sin? Do you see your temptations? I know I see mine as well. But may we trust the promises of God here and know, most importantly, we've been forgiven. We are standing in his righteousness. We've been covered by Christ and he is helping us to grow. Don't look at your sin. Don't look at your weakness and allow Satan to rub your face in the mud and to say, you're never going to change. You're not going fast enough. Look at all these areas. Look at how sinful you are. Yeah, I am. And thankfully God saved me and has forgiven me, but he's changing me in his timing. He's changing me. And so I want to keep just walking with him and going to God, going to the word of his grace, the gospel, the word, which is able to build you up. Satan wants you to believe you're not growing, Christian. Wants you to believe there's nothing happening. But God's word says otherwise. God's word says as we just keep walking with him, he will build us up in him. And then we see here this kind of final phrase before the very end. Established in the faith, just as you were taught. Please forgive me for the non-sports people in this room, but... It makes me think of Joel Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid is a center for the Sixers. The guy's a monster. I mean, he's just a huge, hawking man. And I think about him just in the paint in a basketball game and just him established and us trying to move him off the block. It's not going to happen. I mean, there are NBA players that are playing him for the first time and saying, that dude's big. And when other NBA players are saying, that guy's big, you know he's big. And so just, there's just, he's established. He's a rock. He's just, you're not going to quickly be able to get him, wh- you know, where he doesn't want to go. And so it's saying here, rooted, built, established in the faith. Paul is not just concerned with seeking converts. God's not just concerned about saving people and then, okay, I'll see you in heaven. Paul wants to see converts grow more and more in Christ. God wants us in this life, by His grace, by the Spirit, to be established in the faith. The Great Commission does not say, just go make a bunch of converts, and when when they get saved, move on to somebody else. The Great Commission says, to go and make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Jesus, yes, Yes, converts. Yes, save the lost. And yet once they're saved, discipling them, pouring into them, helping them by God's grace and spirit to grow more and more like Christ. And he wants that for us, Christ community. He wants us to be established in the faith. To grow. To be stronger. He's using trials to do that. He's using his word to do that. He's using you as you encourage and care for one another to do that. Established in the faith, just as you were taught. Actually, it says in 1 Thessalonians 3, that's why he sends Timothy to that church. That they might be established in the faith. He, he goes to teach them, to disciple them. And yet then in 2 Thessalonians, it says the Lord is the one who establishes. Again, you see that, 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 that holding together of it's the Lord that does it, and yet he uses us. And I want to ask you, even as we look one to another, I mean, there's a, a part of this, a primary part of this message where you're thinking about you and 
Okay, what does it look like for me to grow in the faith? Not grow in being saved, not grow in being loved by God, but just to grow in the faith. But what does that look like for us one to another as well? My job, not as the pastor, just as a Christian, one of my responsibilities is to help you grow in your faith. And that's the call for every Christian in this church, for us to, to help each other, to grow in the faith. Point number three, point number three, thanksgiving. Paul ends by sharing that our response is not go to work, but thank God. Our response here is, yes, we should walk with Christ. Yes, called to root ourselves and be built up in Christ. And yet he says at the end, abounding in thanksgiving. In the original, it literally means grateful for the grace of God. Grateful for the grace of God. Don't first think about all the things that you need to do. Don't don't first go to, okay, I need to do this, I need to grow in this, I need to do this. Brainerd first celebrates God and then says, oh, that I might. And Paul here in the same way is saying, Yes, there are steps in moving forward. Yes, there are ways we can grow. But do it abounding in thanksgiving. Thankful that we get to be in relationship with Christ. Thankful that we get to spend our lives walking with Him. I get to spend the rest of my life and all into eternity with God. That I get to talk to God anywhere about anything. I've, I've shared before that I pray out loud in the car and people have caught me at times praying out loud in the car. People I don't know and I figure I'll never see again and I assume they think I'm on my Bluetooth and so I don't you know, get concerned that they see me talking to God. And yet I'm talking out loud and, and do I just see the blessing of that? I can talk to God anywhere at any time about anything. I've never brought anything to God and God responded by saying, really that, Ben? You're bringing that to me? God as loving Father wants to hear about everything. Wants you to feel like you can talk to him about anything and everything. That we get to be led by Christ. That we get to receive his grace and strength, not just at the beginning of our salvation, but every day of our life. That, that he's making us more and more like him? That we have been given that richly glorious inheritance? We are to be abounding in thanksgiving. This isn't simply obligation. This isn't a duty of list that we need to be a part of. This is incredible. If you see the Christian life as simply another thing on your to-do list, may God give you fresh perspective this morning. That you are in a relationship with God. He loves being with you. He loves talking to you. He loves listening to you. May we consider how many people this morning, just in Berks County alone, are far from God. Think about co-workers that are far from God. Think about fellow students that are far from God, neighbors who are far from God. Ushers, you can start to hand out the elements for communion. To think about where they are right now and where you are right now. 
They are far from God, but you have been brought near. And it is so right for us to to close this morning with communion and a song. Because in communion, we remember what Christ has done for us. And church, there's, there's no walking with Christ. There's no being rooted in Christ. There's no being built up in Christ. There's no abounding in thanksgiving without Christ's life, death, and resurrection for us. None of that would exist if it wasn't for God's love sending Jesus to earth and Jesus willingly obeying. Just a few verses after what we've looked at this morning. In verses 13 and 14, this is what it says about you, Christian. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Listen to that. You were dead, Christian. And now you're alive. And He's forgiven you not some of your sins. He has forgiven you, as it says here, all of your sins. How? How? How could God forgive a sinful people? Verse 14. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it. To the cross. Again, I'm a visual learner and I think about that. The great record of debt that I owed. God knows every sin I would ever commit. He knew that record of debt and He put it on Christ for me. Where is Ben Ross's sin? It's on the cross. Forgiven, atoned for because of what Jesus has done. And so may we just take a moment to reflect on God's goodness, to reflect on His love towards us, Christian, and to pray that God would help us to grow in our relationship, to grow in our walk. Matthew chapter 26 says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples. And he said, take, eat. This is my body. Church, we're able to receive Christ because he gave us himself. We're able to receive Christ because he offered up his life, his death. That we might be forgiven. May we eat the bread and remember the broken body of Jesus for us. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. We are part of that many, Christian. May we remember the blood of Christ that atones for our sin.
Tom, please come on up. Church, if you would stand. And we're going to sing, Be Thou My Vision. And I pray it would be a prayer of us as a church, prayer for us as individuals, that, that we would say that. Christ, be our vision. Give us grace to fix our eyes on I just want to read Acts 20, verse 32 as the closing benediction. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Church, have a wonderful day going out in the love and grace of our Savior. Amen.